Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Today on the podcast, we have Jessica, who is going to talk to us about variable income. So last week, I started sharing my story about switching from very set salary-based income to a highly variable income and what that was like both personally and in my budget. And now I want to talk to other people in similar boats. So Jessica, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what kind of variable income you have, how frequently it is, how up and down it might go, all those good things. Yeah. So I'm from Ohio and we are on a variable income and it's just my husband's income. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I became a stay-at-home mom back in 2020. Um, I had my own massage business. I ran that for seven years. I was a massage therapist for 14 years decided to quit. Unfortunately, my mother passed away and she was my babysitter for my son. And so I didn't have a babysitter. And then my son wasn't doing well in school. So I ended up pulling him from school and homeschooling him. So we are a one income family. My husband is a auto mechanic. And with that, they are paid by the job. So like oil change could be three tenths of an hour, but a big engine job could be 20 hours. So I never know what he's going to do, what kind of cars are coming in or what kind of income could be coming in. I mean, so he does have a guarantee. He's guaranteed 42 hours a week. So 84 hours and a pay period because he gets paid every other Friday, but we just never know. So, I mean, it could be, it could vary from like $200 to almost $300. It just, it, you know, it's difficult. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, for sure. So do you currently budget on the debt-free mom template or do you use a different method? What's your method for budgeting? I switched over to the debt-free mom, a pay period budget, but I'm going between two things right now until I get used to doing the Excel um, spreadsheet. So I do track paper and pen. I still love that method. And I like seeing where we have spent that money not just some categories. So I'd like to say, okay, we went to Chick-fil-A today and that's the amount rather than it's just a restaurant budget. So when you set up the budget, so you said you're paid every other Friday, you guys have a check every other Friday and you have a minimum that you could expect. When you build your budget, where in that range do you 
tend to plan for the income? Like, do you just go for kind of the smallest number? Do you try to go off of an average of what he typically receives? So when you're building it in advance, how do you decide what income you're going to guess is going to be his paycheck? Well, that's where I was faltering. So everybody told me, go with the minimum because you do have a minimum. That's like his base pay. But if I did that, which he hardly ever gets, um, which is nice, we would never be able to afford what we do. And I know there you always talk about, you know, your gap and all that stuff. But um, and people are like, well, do the bare minimum. It's like, yeah, but he never hardly ever gets that. So I do about probably $100, 100 to $150 above that minimum. Okay, perfect. Um, because that's kind of an... I don't want to say an average because now he's making a little bit more he brings in, but there has been since I started in January, his first paycheck was that minimum amount. And so that's when it's difficult because I want to do the minimum. That way, if he goes above and beyond, then I could say, okay, I expected some savings or this or that. But then if I budget a hundred to $150 more and he does get that minimum, then I'm like, oh, now I have to really switch, but I have a savings too that helps and I pull from that savings. Well, that is one of the main frustrations with variable income is you feel like you're almost always wrong. And sometimes it's wrong and in your favor, but it is just, it adds to a certain level of frustration that makes it more likely that we just give up on it, right? Because it kind of feels like a game that we're losing at. But it sounds like you're doing the right thing for guessing the income, because I would actually agree with you that in general, it is a good idea to go for the minimum you could expect to receive. But like you said, they almost never actually get that minimum. If if getting above the minimum is the rule and only getting the minimum is the exception to the rule, I would budget around a higher amount that is more typical or more likely to be what you would expect to receive. So I wouldn't say that budgeting above that minimum base pay is wrong. It just does take a little bit of extra planning so that in the occasion where he is paid that base pay, you have funds that you can pull from. So you said that you have like savings and if if it goes below that that minimum or below what you planned on, you can pull from it. Is it just a general savings account? Is it an emergency fund? Is it something specifically for variable income? Like where do you go to to pull that from if let's say you thought he would get paid this much and he got paid 200 less than that? It's a it's a general savings. We have in our in our credit union our emergency fund. Okay. That, I'm still, that I'm still building to where I want. Sure. So one thing that I have found just even mentally helpful as I switched from a salary pay to a variable pay is actually having a specific, I don't know if maybe your credit union lets you divide a savings account into different like buckets or categories, or even just having a separate account. But I have found that having a small account that's separate from my emergency fund so that I don't feel like I'm pulling money from my emergency fund helps me to feel like I'm more on plan than off plan. So for people who have variable income, a good a rule of thumb would be like one paycheck worth, half a paycheck to one paycheck worth in a small extra savings account. And then what you can do is on the occasion that he would get paid less than what you thought, and you can't just, you know, reduce some expense in the pay period to make up for it. You actually need to pull money. 
if you're pulling money from an account that you are calling like your backup pay or your, I call it my payroll reserve, and I have this little account that I pull from, it can be so frustrating to have variable income. And it's one of the things I've done for myself that at the end of the day, it's not functionally any different to pull money from my emergency fund versus pulling it from this separate account. But for some reason, the fact that I'm not touching my emergency fund just helps me to feel less frustration and more like, oh, I'm so glad that I put that money there because I put it there specifically for a lower paycheck pay period. And so now I'm going to use it for exactly what it was there for instead of feeling like every transfer I pull out of the emergency fund is making me like further behind or taking away from my goals. If I put the a little bit of money in an account that's specifically there for that purpose, then it feels like I'm on plan instead of off plan, which can sound like a silly, you know, it's like, well, obviously when you pull the money from it, it doesn't sound, it's not going to be any different, but I think it really does make a mental difference. At least it has for me to not feel like I'm doing something wrong or like I'm, I'm falling behind. So that might be an idea to implement that. Now, I know obviously that means slowing down when money is going into your emergency fund if you're trying to put this second account aside. But I do think the benefit of having an option for pulling money from something that you don't feel like is your emergency fund can benefit you. And at the end of the day, that money is still available. So it's still like putting money in savings. It's just organizing the money in to two different purposes. So when you then budget for that lower amount, what have you done in the past when he maybe gets paid more than what you planned for? When I budget, maybe this is wrong, and, and but when I budget, I budget all our bills, and then I do grocery and gas. I always, we, we tithe, so I do our tithing. And then I try to, our number one goal was to build our emergency fund. We're almost there to the amount that I want. Perfect. After all that is done, then I go back and go, okay, if you made more, then I put it in our sinking fund. Okay. But that's where I'm lacking because I don't know if I'm doing <laughs> that right or not. Because yeah. Because I also have to figure out how to put money back into that savings because mm -hmm. like I said, looking at, um, I just used the debt-free mom pay period budgeting starting in January and the first check was January 5th. That was our minimum. That was the minimum pay. He didn't make that, you know, the amount. The last two paychecks, he's done way over that, which is great. So I had to pull from savings in that first paycheck, but how do I'm just still trying to figure out how to replenish that. One of the things we want to do is have these default goals in order so we know uh, how to triage basically the extra money that we have. Even right now, if I were to need to use money out of my emergency fund, all my other goals would then pause until I refill the emergency fund. So one thing I've found to be really helpful for making progress on goals is to have one, maybe two goals that we focus on at the same time and no more. Because what we do is we all have a very set amount of a gap between our income and our expenses. It might vary month to month, but it's not infinite. It's not endless. And so what happens is that if we feel like all of these really good goals, like saving an emergency fund, filling a sinking fund, paying down debt, investing in retirement, they're all good things. So we feel like, oh, well, I should do a little bit of all of them so that all the time I'm always investing. I'm always paying off debt. I'm always putting money in savings. 
what actually happens is that we take that very limited gap between our income and expenses and spread it so thin that we feel like we're not making progress, where we go months at a time where we're like, my emergency fund is barely bigger than it was at the beginning of the year, and it's summertime. Instead, if we take that same amount of money, we're not growing the gap between the income and expenses, we're taking the same amount of money. If we put our goals in order and we say, I'm going to focus on one, maybe two at a time, and just target it until it's full or target it until that goal is met, and then pause doing that and move to the next goal, the perception, the feeling of momentum becomes so much stronger that we actually are incentivized to keep going instead of feeling like there is no point in this. I'm spinning my wheels. Our budget's not moving anywhere. So I would recommend having a list of what you want to accomplish and prioritize them in a certain order and just send all of the extra to each one until it is achieved. So for example, when we were paying off our debt, we did the whole starter emergency fund, then we paid off our debt, then we filled a full emergency fund. And then after that, we actually paused to save up a down payment on a house before then increasing our investments in retirement. But if at any point along the way, I used money from my emergency fund, no matter what those other goals were, the debt payoff, the house down payment, the retirement, I would pause for the next couple months until I refilled the emergency fund, and then I would carry on with my next goal. So instead of trying to do all of them at the same time, I had more of a tunnel vision on one goal at a time, and it just felt like I was knocking them out faster than I ever had before without actually increasing the gap between that income and expenses. So that might be a good idea to prioritize one, maybe two things and then, for example, you brought up the sinking funds. Unless there's a specific time-sensitive purpose to some of those sinking funds, like if you have a trip coming up, like don't pause that sinking fund because you have to go at a certain time, right? But if they're general sinking funds, like car repair, clothing, what else? House improvement, you know, like that kind of stuff. Go ahead and prioritize the emergency fund over and above those until that hits your target. Because at the end of the day, if you have a car repair that's needed and you have money in the emergency fund, you could still use it for a car repair, even if it wasn't in the account that was called car fund or whatever. But what that does is it just gives you a feeling of progress. And that feeling of progress then helps you keep going. And then from there, you can move forward into your other goals, knowing if at any point you have to use money from the emergency fund, you're going to pause that other goal to focus on the emergency fund and get it filled back up and then shift your focus. So that might be something that could help you, again, like I said, without growing the gap between your income and expenses, could help you feel like it grew because you're making some more progress. Because I think setting goals is a little hard when you have variable because, again, you don't you don't know what's going to be coming in. Yes. You can guess it, but like I said, you know, when you, when you guess and I have like a certain amount, I budget for every, almost every single thing and it's all taken care of. So when he does, if I move on, I'm like, Ooh, we can put a little bit more here and a little bit more here, you know, and savings and stuff where you want to be. You know? Yeah. So what it can help you do too, is that because you and I have variable income, we have more decisions to make in our budget than someone who has a set a salary because they plan out their budget ahead of time and there's no surprises with what their paycheck is, right? 
we have to make a plan A, but we can pretty much guarantee that what's actually going to happen is going to be some plan B, right? That something is going to change. Something is going to fluctuate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then during the pay period, it's F. And then you think that the next pay period is going to be A, but it's C. And yeah. So it definitely is harder because we we know that what we're setting up is probably not going to actually work out, but we still want to set that up because it is easier to, it's easier to tweak an existing plan than to wait until we actually get the paycheck and kind of scramble to make a plan once the pay period has already started. But I, so I always feel like even though I budget, other than my bill, it just mm-hmm. feels like I'm always like moving things around and doing this and doing this and you know, and then that, yep. that's where my head just kind of. Yeah, the numbers get swirled together for yeah. sure. Yeah. So what we can do, especially in those kind of situations, because we do have a longer list of decisions or a more frequent amount of decisions to make than someone who has set salary, is to come up with those prioritization lists of our goals so that when you get extra income, if, you know, his next paycheck ends up being two or 300 more than what you expected it to be, if you already have a set list of whenever I have extra income, I do this until it's full and then I do this and then I do this. If that decision is already made, then at the very least, even though you do have to do more, you know, moving the numbers around, it's it reduces your decision fatigue by as soon as he gets paid, you're like, oh, there's an extra 300. I already know that our top goal is the emergency fund. As soon as I see that, I can just make an extra 300 transfer to emergency fund and move on. I think a lot of times when we have extra, and this applies to salary or variable income, when we get extra money or we see more than we expected to be there, we kind of sit down like we have a blank piece of paper in front of us and we treat every extra amount of money as like this brand new decision. Like, what do I want to do with this today? Where should this go now? What fund? And that is exhausting. Even if it's exciting to have, you know, that extra income, it is exhausting to have to tell yourself you have to decide. Now you have to decide again. Now it's already the next Friday and you have to decide again. So giving yourself a default list of this is what I do. If anybody knows the lazy genius, her name is Kendra Adachi. She's an author and podcaster. And one of her big recommendations on just being more efficient in life in general is what she calls decide once. So she's like, come up with things like her, her favorite one is kids birthday parties. She's like, I decide once that I give a $10 gift card to McDonald's and the kid draws a card. And she was like, that's the decision. We like, every time we go to a birthday party, it's just, we already decided what the gift is. And I don't walk into Target being like, what do I want to get for this kid? And what do I want to get for this kid? So it's the same idea with our money that we kind of want to decide once where is my extra money going right now? And then just be on autopilot that anytime we have extra money, that's where it goes. So for example, my current goal is retirement. Even though my income is variable and I have to wait until I actually get paid to know how much is going to go into retirement. As soon as I do know what that paycheck is going to be and I deposit it into my personal bank account, Whatever that extra is, according to my budget, that day one on payday, I just make a a retirement contribution for exactly that much and I just move on. So I try not to put too much, I don't want to say not put too much thought in it, but I I already put a lot of thought into what my goals were going to be. And so then each time I get extra money, it's a snap decision because I know where I'm at in my goals as opposed to being like, oh, well, maybe a little bit could go here, maybe a little bit could go there. 
Because the other thing that happens, at least for me, I'm the spender out of my family. I don't know about you. I'm the spender. What happens for me is if I give myself too much time to think about it, it's not going to actually end up going to my goals like I wanted it to. So that's another thing that that decide once mentality really helps me to not give myself too much time to think about all of the fun stuff that I could do with this money and instead be like, you know what your goals are, just send the money to the goals and make it a little more automatic. So does that sound like something that might be helpful for you as the budgeter to have a list of, I know where my money's going? Yeah. I mean, that'll definitely help. Because I made a list yesterday, getting ready for this, of all the goals. They're not in any order, but so I can look at that and go, okay, this is number one, this is number two, you know? And that should help with, like I said, two things with feeling like you're making progress instead of if you feel right now, like you're making less progress than you thought you would having targeted goals one at a time can really increase that perception of progress. And then number two, it also can minimize how much work you have to do making decisions every time his paycheck is higher. You don't have to say, well, you know, I look at this list of goals and they're all good things. So if he got paid 100 extra, I'm going to send $25 to all four of these goals. And then what happens is that we look at it, you know, we look back and we're like, I didn't do anything this pay period. And really, we did. We just spread it so thin that it doesn't feel like we did anything. On your list of goals, what are some of the goals that you have maybe in the next like two to three years? What are some of those goals aside from like you mentioned the emergency fund? Yeah, we have our emergency fund and then take a vacation every year in August. And that's one. And then we save for our, our meat because we buy a quarter cow every year. We have that, but then we also have to supplement it with some other things we buy locally for farms. Just some different things like car maintenance, Christmas, and then mm -hmm. retirement, definitely. Because we're in our 40s. Awesome. And like my husband has a 401k. I think the company puts in 2% and then he puts in 5%. So I think it's at 7%. But then when I had my massage business, because I was self-employed, I didn't have a retirement. So mm -hmm. we started a Roth IRA. When we talked to our financial person, they said, oh, 350 a month, if you could put that in. And I'm like, I'm not even there. I put mm -hmm. in what I can and I put in a little yes. bit because each little bit is going to grow it. But yeah, I would love to retire yeah. him early if I could. I, I love all of those. So one of the things that I noticed in that list with, was that several of them, especially the Christmas, the cow purchase and vacation all have specific time periods where instead of being a general sinking fund, it has a specific date in mind. So one of the good things about the debt-free mom template is that you could plan out farther than just this one tab, this one set of six pay periods, for example. And if you could go maybe just far enough to see August, then you can plan backwards for if this is how many pay periods I have between right now and the trip, and we want to save $3,000 or whatever it is for the trip. If you plan backwards and identify when extra money is available in which pay periods and how much would need to go towards that goal in order to have that amount of money by that date, that can really help alleviate some of that stress too, because just seeing a visual of like, oh, even if, you know, even if I plan for his checks to be $200 lower than what they normally are, or than what he's been getting recently as his paycheck has been getting higher, I have plenty of time between now and August to fully fund that trip. And I don't have to stress about, for example, choosing between 
having money in the emergency fund and going on a trip. I can see that both are able to happen. So I think especially for that variable income, having a long runway between right now and when we actually want to accomplish something, having a plan actually built out can help to stress less about the what ifs. Like what if we have this? What if his paycheck is lower? Because a lot of times if we have no set plan that's actually written down, all of the what ifs in our head tend to be more negative, right? Like what if the paychecks are super low? And what if we all of a sudden get to August and we don't have money for vacation? But laying out specific pay periods with specific numbers in mind can combat that, can kind of help us have somewhere outside of our own head that we look at and we're like, oh, I was stressed about accomplishing all of those things on a certain timeline, but this tool is allowing me to see the real numbers of what we could do between now and August, and it makes us feel better about having a plan for that. So I definitely would encourage building out your plan. It doesn't have to be super specific, right? Like we can just do our best guess with what we think our bills will be, what we think our expenses will be, and just get a general idea for how much extra is going to be available between now and then to give ourselves a little encouragement that we can do these things over time and and hit those markers, even if it feels like in the moment, we're not making much progress. Well, we also get a tax refund so that and a, and a big one. We got a big one last year. Funnel for hopes, and we we take that amount, and then I separate and put them in our goals where we need it. I mean, I put we have an accountant. I put money back to pay for the accountant. Of course, where we live, I have to pay quarterly tax. I put that. So once those are there, then I can say, okay, goal number one, goal number yeah. Sometimes we put it towards our the only debt we have other than our house is a car payment. So sometimes I put money on the car, you know. But then I could do that, and then we put money for vacation back too, yeah. as well. And going along with his variable, also in most jobs, when you take a vacation, you get a paycheck the week that you're off. Well, with his job, he gets paid on his three weeks on his anniversary date, which is July 1st. So whatever paycheck falls in that week of July 1st, he gets all three weeks in one paycheck. So that's another thing that gets a little iffy because then I have to save it. So when he's on vacation, when we go in August, which is the reason we tend to go in August, it might have to take, take that from here and cover those bills because he will not get paid for the two weeks that he's off or week and a half that he's off because he's not making money not there. You know? Yeah. So that's another decision that I have to, it gets a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So something that you could do, two things that I think of as you're explaining that is one, that the goals in order conversation we just had a couple of minutes ago, do that also specifically about your tax return of like, where could this do the most good in a specific place? Especially if one of the things I always do for myself is if the money that we get could completely meet a goal, like if it could actually like fill something all the way up, then I prioritize that as opposed to spreading it into a lot of different directions for the exact same reason. Just like our paycheck extra suddenly disappears if we do too many things with it, our tax return that we get, you know, dollar signs in our eyeballs about how big it is. If we spread it too thin, we'll be like, that did not do as much as I expected it to do considering how big it was. 
But if we can use all of it to say, hey, the car is completely paid off and now I have an extra 250 in my budget every month moving forward, that will benefit you right now and it will benefit you every month moving forward. Or filling the emergency fund so that as you get extra money in your paychecks moving forward, instead of trying to put it into the emergency fund, it can become a retirement contribution. So when we get those one-time deposits, trying to figure out where can this do the most good in terms of not how many different things can it do that are good, but what's one big thing that it can do that would do a lot of good for our family. That's really where I look in order to alleviate the burden on the rest of your paycheck. So I think those are two good examples, just, and not that even one is even better than the other, but one, can it completely fill your emergency fund and hit that goal that you have in mind so that you can actually like check that box and move on to working on other things? Or can it completely pay off the car or get you almost all the way there so that in your budget moving forward, you suddenly have a larger gap between your income and expenses because one of your set bills has disappeared. And then for the vacation pay out, don't do too many things with that because like you said, you will need that for those other weeks that he's gone and not getting paid. One of the things I I thought of as you were saying, you know, it takes a lot of plan A, B, C, and D, that is really hard on a pen and paper, right? Writing out a plan on pen and paper is is great. And I think it actually helps our brain to make connections better when we do it physically instead of on a computer. But rearranging everything is very difficult on pen and paper because it's hard to see how everything is connected. I'm still getting used to the templates because I noticed that we've last paycheck because we just got paid yesterday. So the paycheck before that, our numbers were off and I still don't, like they weren't balancing between my checking account and what I had on the spreadsheet. All my bills except for one bill is automated. So all that I take and put in a separate checking account. So that they're kind of like already paid. That way what's in our checking account is true. Other than I think there's three bills that come out of there. And then same with our grocery and gas. I put in that bills account because we use our credit card because we get points for this and stuff like that. That's the only travel hack I have. Oh, I accounted for all of that and I paid off my credit card, everything, but I don't know where the mishap went and why. So I just I just went up to the miscellaneous deposit and put a difference so that it was there and moved on because I couldn't I still couldn't find it. Yeah. So first of all, excellent job doing that. At the end of the day, I I do try to track down discrepancies. But at the end of the day, the thing we want to value the most is just making our next pay period match whatever the bank account says. So not what we think should be there or what we expected, but what it actually has. I spent years feeling frustrated that my money wasn't working the way it should. It wasn't until I discovered the magic of budgeting by pay period rather than by month that my money started to feel stable. Pay Period Budget Academy is my signature budgeting course that helps hundreds of women take control of their home finances. Join today at debtfreemom.co slash PBA and use the code podcast at checkout to get 20% off your membership. So at the end of the day, we do want to just move forward as accurately as possible instead of spending too much time trying to figure out what already happened. But second thing, are did you say that there was more in your bank account than you expected to have or less in your bank account than you expected to have? There was more, more. than I expected. Okay. So 
it might be none of these, but some of the the things that happen that cause that are number one, if I write a check for anything and then they haven't deposited it, that could have more money in the account than they're what or than my budget says. The other thing is sometimes when I record the checking account balance at the start of the pay period, if there was something that I thought would be taken out in my current pay period, but it actually got taken out like right before payday. So sometimes bills that like if you get paid on, if you said, you know, yesterday was your payday, if you got paid on February 3rd and you budgeted a bill that comes out typically on the 3rd, sometimes auto pays get taken out a couple days within a couple day range. If it maybe got taken out on the 2nd instead of the 3rd. And so then when I had written down my balance for how much I was starting with at the pay period, I was expecting this balance minus this bill, but really that bill had already been paid. And that sometimes happened for me because my, especially my utilities get pulled within a four to five day window. And so sometimes they get paid. Yeah. They get paid in a different pay period than I planned for them, which is annoying. But honestly, having more in your bank account than you expected is a good problem to have. And so, but I, I totally get it because it does create this feeling of what am I missing? Right? Like what bill is going to randomly get withdrawn in the next couple of days that I don't have marked down. And that's what the money had been for. And so I was just forgetting about it. Those are the things that I tend to double check is did I, you know, put a, a charge down for anything that I either wrote a check for or like I have a Target red card that's a debit card instead of a credit card. So I get like the 5% off, but it debits directly out of my checking account. But it tends to have a two to three day delay between when I buy something and when it actually debits it out of my checking account. So sometimes I'll go to Target, I'll buy something on that, and I'll right away record that expense in my budget. And then if I do a budget check-in between then and when Target actually pulls the money out, sometimes I miss that and I think that I have more than I actually have. But I would just say, I would encourage you that that will probably always happen in some regard plus or minus, and that you did the exact right thing, which is taking a little bit of time to try to figure out what it is, and then deciding to move on and just accept that whatever the bank account is what it is for right now and put and move forward with that right deposit at the start of the next pay period. I think that's why I do. I think that's why I do pen and paper still. I'm still trying to figure out how to do this system, which is a great system. And I love it because it shows, you know, a lot of things that pen and paper don't show you, but trying to do that transition and, you know, because you're going between checking account and credit card, and then we pull cash out for like our spending money. And then also our savings, some of our funds are check, you know, cash. So I think a lot of that is. Yeah. And I, I would say for, for most people, it takes going through the first full sheet, the six pay periods before they really feel like they hit a groove of some kind. So don't give up if you're on pay period three and you're like, oh, well, I missed something. So it, it got messed up. I would say it's a solid six pay periods. Once you have that first sheet done and you're moving into the next one, I really feel like there's a switch of just a comfort level or confidence level with what's there and how it functions. The other thing, and maybe you already do this, but because you have different accounts that you're putting money in and some are cash and then credit card, color coding is really helpful too. If you want to, if you fill in the boxes as you pay for something and you say, okay, blue is going to be 
cash withdrawn and orange is going to be transferred to my secondary checking account. And what I do for my color coding system is for a long time, I did not use credit cards at all. I only used debit. So I just had one color. And every time something was withdrawn from my checking account, I just filled that box in. It was like a dark blue. And I just did that. So I knew it was paid. Well, once I added the whole complication of using credit cards, I then had a system that has two colors. So now anytime something is charged to my credit card, I color it in orange, which means I've swiped for that, but I don't turn it blue, which was my original, this is paid color. I don't turn it blue until I pay the credit card off. So for me, orange always means swiped on the credit card. And blue always means it's actually been paid out of my checking account and it's done, it's taken care of. And the reason I have the two colors is that not everything goes on the credit card. So like you said, like a transfer to savings, as soon as I make that transfer, I color it in blue. We write a check for our rent. As soon as I see that our landlord deposited it, I color it blue. Uh, The Target debit card that I have, color that blue because it comes directly out of my checking account. But then a lot of my restaurant, grocery, um, you know, even like our cell phone bill and that kind of stuff goes on the credit card. So as I'm doing a budget check-in, if I see that something was charged to the card, I color it orange. So that tells me instead I, I have taken care of this in terms of I've bought it, but I haven't paid it out of the checking account yet. And so If you have other layers to that, like withdrawing cash or transferring it to a different account or whatever, you might want to come up with a system that could keep you organized so that it's easy to do a budget check-in really fast and just be like, oh yeah, I withdrew the cash for personal spending and my cash withdrawal color is purple or whatever it is. Yeah, because like I said, I transfer all our bills over to a separate checking account. So then that Mm -hmm. would probably be one one color. And then if it comes, use our debit card, that'll probably be a different color because then like some of that stuff, like especially our gas and groceries, we use our credit card, but then Mm -hmm. I pay from our checking account, not from the bills account. So then I transfer that money back in. That could just help it'll help you not have to mentally remember where you're at in the process. The colors can kind of tell you. Because like last pay period, our grocery budget's like 300, but I went over like $6. So mm-hmm. I put $3 and I think it was 306.60. I think it was. Yep. And so I transferred that back over, but then our gas, we go under because every other week my husband had the work trust. So that's a mm-hmm. gas. But I still budget that amount because there are times where I might be driving around a lot and have to mm-hmm. do several fill-ups rather than him that just goes up once. So then I've been taking that money and putting that in our car maintenance, like the leftover in our car maintenance fund. Mm-hmm. I can do it and I can see it on paper, but to do it on yes. the spreadsheet is where I get confused with all the transferring and the adding back in, and the, you know. Yep. And stuff like so what you the default that you want to have in your head is that the budget spreadsheet is monitoring what comes in and out of your primary checking account, wherever your bank account goes in. So it doesn't it works very well when managing one checking account. And even you can have multiple checking accounts, but in terms of tracking in the budget, what we want to prioritize is tracking the ins and outs of one primary checking account. If we're trying to do multiple bank accounts at one time, what can cause some mess 
is if the money being used out of the different accounts didn't necessarily come from the paycheck that we're working on, because then it looks like we're spent, like what you said, it looks like we're spending more than we did simply because the funds for that came from something else. So I just say make make budget, match bank account and behavior. So just have it in your mind, like what's coming in and what's coming out of that primary checking account. And then color coding your system, I think, could also really simplify so that you know, like, oh, yeah, I didn't just transfer that money over to that secondary checking account. I actually already transferred it back and paid the credit card. I'm done with that part of it. Yeah, because like I want to see the different categories that I'm doing, but you know, like our mortgage payments, I do, I split that up into pay periods. So when I put that in the mortgage line and color it, probably whatever color, because I transferred it out of my checking account, put it in that secondary checking account. And then that's where it's being paid of that secondary account, but I already took it out of this primary checking. Right. So in that case, you would actually want to use whatever color you're going to use to mean paid and done because that money is not coming back into your checking account. But with the che- with the credit card, it would be different. It would be like there, there should be, or, yeah. yeah, there should be like one color. Blue, blue and orange. For, yeah. For basically like pending and then another color for, I just, I like, I know the blue I've trained myself to know when I color it blue, that means like I do not have to worry about that bill anymore. I have fully taken care of it, including paying off the credit card portion if that applies to that account. So yeah, color coding it in that way can can simplify and kind of streamline how much of all of the moving pieces you have to actually hone in on and pay attention to when you sit down to check in. Okay. Just talking about this color coding thing for gas and groceries. Paper mm-hmm. like the only thing from that extra, that second checking account that I transfer back into my primary checking because they go on a credit card mm-hmm. and one other bill because I get a discount if I pay with my credit card. Do I add those in as categories and then mark them off blue when I pay the credit card or do they go into as miscellaneous deposits? Does that make sense? So I, yeah, I would do one of two things. I would do orange when you move it out of your primary checking. And then I would definitely always budget for it in the proper category. So when you're transferring money out, I would keep the planned transfer out in grocery and gas and whatever that money is actually being used for. What you can do then is in the same way that if I were using money out of one of my sinking funds, you can actually ignore the transfer back in and the credit card payment in your budget because they're going to cancel each other out. So if you've already budgeted for the transfer out of your primary checking, that's the act of spending the money basically in terms of your budget. And then if you, like you said, you wait until the end and then you see that it's 30660. So you transfer 30660 back into your primary checking and then you make a credit card payment for 30660 or equal to, you know, 30660 plus your other categories. Those two things are going to cancel out and have no effect on what's actually available in your budget. So you could change the color, right? Like you could change the color of the grocery category from orange to blue once you make the credit card payment, but you don't need to add any numbers into your budget because you're doing an in and an out that's going to equal zero in terms of the effect on your budget. So that's what I would do. Like that's what I do. If I set money aside for a trip and I am budgeting like 
$250 a month into a vacation fund six months before we travel. Each of those 250s, um, they don't go in the savings line because I'm actually going to be spending it on vacation. But then once I actually travel and I'm spending the money out of that sinking fund, I don't record it in my budget because that would be duplicating that expense. I've already represented in my budget that I was going to spend this money on vacation. So I put all the vacation spending on a credit card so I can add it up and see where I'm at. If my vacation budget was, you know, $1,200, I can see what that card balance is over time. And then once we're done traveling and I, I add it all up and I say, yep, you know, we spent 1170 I'll transfer 1170 out of my vacation sinking fund into my personal checking account pay a credit card payment of 1170 And because those two things are equal, they cancel each other out. And I don't put those two things in my budget at all because the 250 going into the vacation fund each month leading up to the trip was already budgeted for as vacation spending. Now, if you went over that amount, you'd probably put that little bit amount that you went over. Yep. Okay, yep. That makes sense. Right. Like if I had 1200 in my vacation fund, but we spent 1250 so I needed to use $50 out of my budget buffer in my current pay period, then I would put $50 on vacation line in that current pay period because I needed to use 50 out of my current paycheck in order to cover that. The other thing you could try, and you don't need at all to try this right now, I would ease into some of these changes that we're talking about, is once you feel consistent with tracking your expenses and marking them as paid, I would entertain the idea of not doing the transfer out and transfer back in just for the things that go on the credit card. Because all it would do is eliminate two things that you have to manually do, and it wouldn't make any more or less available in your budget. So what happens when, when we start to budget in a pay period method that can actually has the ability to match our bank account, what we start to do is we transfer how much we pay attention to the balance from what's the balance in my bank account to what's the balance in my budget. And once you start to feel that transfer where you're not super concerned with exactly how much happens to be in your checking account at this moment uh, in terms of making decisions, and you're instead more focused on what's available in my bank account for making decisions, then that means that you could probably handle keeping some of that money in your checking account and just leaving it there until the end of the pay period and using it to pay your credit card bill because the credit card comes out of that account would minimize. I would love to eliminate that second checking account. It was just because it needs so variable. And then the way we were living, you know, not that we were like overly sending or anything. I just knew that if I was so afraid that that money would be there when that automatic bill came out. No, it's a, it's a completely valid method and a completely valid concern. But one of the perks of adjusting to a, a system that will make you feel more confident about how in tune you are with these different moving parts is that once you start to feel that level of confidence, I would then reevaluate maybe, you know, two or three months from now, reevaluate and say, now that I have this awareness and these skills, what are some of the overly complicated parts of my overall money picture that I could maybe pare down to give myself less work? One of the options would be even in the interim before you decide to do that, that almost any credit card will allow you to attach to almost any checking account when making a payment. You can just add a checking account that you're going to pay from. So you could 
go to that credit card and add the secondary checking account as a pay account. And then you could, at the end of every pay period, pay the credit card bill directly out of your secondary account instead of your primary one. So even if it wasn't the account that you originally set up with, every credit card company that I've ever used, and it's been four, has allowed me to add multiple checking accounts to the list of connected accounts that I can pay from. So at the very least, you eliminate one of those transactions where you would move money from your primary checking to your secondary checking. And then at the end of the pay period, you would pay your credit card bill out of the secondary checking instead of having to go back to primary and then pay. Yeah. We use, I mean, we use it mainly, our credit card mainly for groceries and gas. That's the highest percentage we can get back in, mm-hmm. in points and money and stuff like that. But we do on occasion use it for a couple other things. Yeah. Yeah. So those would just be a couple options for at least slightly reducing how many moving parts you have to pay attention to. Because I think the transferring also can be, can be yep. I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I, I know that I'll be able to keep track of this. And then, you know, five or six transactions in, I'm like, did I move that money over? If you were to look at, especially my Ally accounts, I have multiple times where it's like 500 in, 500 back out because I transferred it to the wrong account or something. So yeah. I, I definitely that's feel a, your pain yeah, on that one. That's another thing I'd like to get where somebody's account but vacation and maybe home repairs and car maintenance or whatever to have those high those high yield savings accounts. But yeah. I haven't stepped there yet. <laughs> yeah. So I just well, I, hi- I highly encourage you to because it is free money. Yeah. That's what I hear. So yep. That's next well, one, one step at yeah. a time. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say one step at a time. Do not make the list so long that you that you're frozen by how much there is to do. One thing at a time. That can come later, but that's a great that's a great goal. Maybe you decide like by the time he gets that July payout for your three weeks of vacation that you're gonna have a high yield savings open that that could go into or something like that. Something down the road. That's my goal. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. This has been amazing. And like I said at the beginning, I knew there's going to be similar people in similar boats to you that just you and I dialoguing about different options and different ways to make it work better for you is not only hopefully going to benefit you, but also also benefit people listening. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances.